Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I you know, I really appreciate when people reach out to me in a DM and uh, they want to share their stories. As I said, one of the main reasons I started the podcast was so that I could have listeners have the ability to hear other people's stories because I think that there's so much um, that can be done when you hear somebody else on here and they're sharing what they've gone through or shared, um, you know, the thoughts they've had or what they've gone through in terms of their struggles with eating and body image. Um, because, you know, like I said, when I was going through my eating disorder, we didn't have podcasts, we didn't have all this social media and, you know, pros and cons, you know, there's, there's so many with social media, but I think that if we can use it for good, um, then let, let's do that. And I think that there are a lot of pros with social media and podcasts, and this can be one of those things. And so I really appreciate that today's guest reach out. And um, and I also appreciate that we have another male on the podcast, because I know that, again, one of the main things I'm trying to do is break some of the myths about eating disorders. And one of them is that it they are primarily only something that affect females. And so uh, really, really appreciate when um, a male comes on here because it does, you know, speak to that eating disorders do not discriminate. They affect everybody of all genders, you know, they, and so um, there is power when somebody does come up and there's multiple voices from, you know, all genders, races, socioeconomic statuses, education levels, like just all ages you know, the more we can hear from people of all walks of life, I think there's more power to that. And I know there's multiple people um, out there listening of all walks of life as well. So um, really excited to have today's guests on and really excited for you all to hear uh, what he has to say. And again, I really appreciate when someone is willing to be vulnerable and open up about uh, what they've been through. So that being said, I want to introduce our guest and then you know, have him on. Uh, Danny O'Connor, he's a professional boxer with a 31 to 3, 12 knockouts professional record. He is the former WBC international silver super lightweight champion. That was a mouthful. Uh, New England welterweight champion and was in line to fight for the WBC world super lightweight title in 2018. He was born and raised in Massachusetts and he began boxing as a teenager and was the National Golden Globes and U.S. Nationals champion, earning himself as a alternate spot on the 2008 U.S. Olympic team. And he turned pro in the fall of 2008 and became one of the most popular boxers on the New England scene, and he went national. And his star continued to rise, ultimately earning him a world title shot. Currently, 
O'Connor is in the midst of a boxing comeback, and he also works as a paramedic in Colorado, where he lives with his wife and four children. Danny, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, you know, I always appreciate when people are willing to be vulnerable and come on and share their story. So, um, you know, and, and I think we were talking a little bit before we hit record that um, I always really appreciate when men are willing to come on because I think there's a myth out there that men don't have don't struggle with um, eating disorders. And, um, you know, I love to break myths out there. So, um, you know, just curious, like, um, what got you to the point where you were open and willing to start talking about your story? Um, well, uh, throughout the journey, there's been a lot of suffering as well as growth to try to get to where I am now. But during those times of extreme suffering, I always told myself if I got to a position where I was able to talk about it comfortably and try to help somebody else, um, that's like the core reason of why I'm doing this. And, um, you know, I just feel grateful that I'm in a position now where I can talk about it. And like you were talking about before, my road in, in eating disorder, there wasn't a lot of guys. I don't even, maybe like two in my whole time that I've actually like got to talk to and I didn't even have the chance to talk to him more is so it was kind of a lonely road. Like I think eating disorder in itself is a very lonely world in itself. But the fact that I couldn't, couldn't find a ton of connection with, with males, I thought, um, you know, I'm not like unique by any means. I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. If, if I struggled this bad over, you know, years and years and years, I'm sure there's other people too. And if uh, being in a position where I can say something or relate and it can help somebody else maybe overcome come some struggles that they have. Um, I always told myself that that's that that's what I want to do. So um, I guess that's why I'm here right now. I kind of just one day was like, you know what? I want to start telling my story and talking about it, and maybe I can help a couple of people. Let me Google, you know, what are the top ten best podcasts for eating disorder? And so then what, you must be doing really good because yours came up. So I just emailed you off, off uh, Instagram. I emailed like. Uh, I don't know, four or five of them. And I was just like, Hey, I'd love to talk about my story and see if I could help people. And a couple of people got back to me and this is where I am right now. Well, I'm very honored. I didn't know that, <laughs> but I'm really <laughs> yeah. grateful that you're here. So <laughs> um, I'm actually curious, did you know you were, you had an eating disorder or like at what point did you actually realize you had one? Um, so I knew 2012 is when I really was like, okay, holy shit, I think I have an eating disorder. And then I was like, holy shit, what is an eating disorder? Because I didn't really know anything about it. So the same way that I had these episodes of eating and restriction was the same, basically the same way that I drank alcohol too. Because during my professional boxing and amateur boxing, when it was kind of at the highest level, it was all day, every day boxing when it was in training camp. So I would have these times where I would get ready to fight and it would be extreme dedication, no drinking, strict diet, training. It was 100% focused on the fight. And then when the fight got over, I would have X amount of time till the next fight. And during that fight, before I had to go into training camp, it's almost like I had to get everything in 
for all the stuff that I missed out on or the restrictions I put on myself during training camp. So this is when I would be real unhealthy. I would eat whatever I want. I would eat ice cream, whatever it may be that wasn't on the strict regimen that was getting me ready for, for a fight. And the same thing with beer. I didn't drink at all during training camp. So the training camp for a boxing match could be anywhere from, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, depending on how long and how long it takes. So, you know, I wouldn't drink. I was fully focused on training, um, being the most optimal I possibly could be for the ring. And then when I got done with the fight, I would then go off the deep end, binge on food, binge on beer, whatever I could do in my off time, because then I knew, and, you know, I don't know, a month, two months, three months, I'd have to go back into training camp, take all that weight off that I gained and then kind of do the whole, the whole thing again. So that's how it's been forever. And so I think alcohol, like everybody knows alcohol is bad. It was never good for me. But I didn't necessarily have an issue with it until I was like, you know what, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then when I decided to stop drinking and I stopped drinking, the food was left. And when that came to the surface and I realized, you know, holy shit, I can't control this. You know what I mean? That's when I really noticed that like, okay, I have a problem now. And that was back in 2012 when I was in Texas. Um, So, but I think way before that, it was just overshadowed. I didn't, I didn't understand eating disorder. I didn't know that it could happen to males. I didn't know, have any education about it um, until it kind of was already in, in me. You know what I mean? So, you know, you look at like how I was born. You know, I was, I'm Irish and I'm, and I'm Italian. And I had some, I grew up in like a suburb outside of Boston and my whole street was all relatives, right? That Irish Catholic family. I had my aunts across the street, my grandmas, there was six houses. It was just, it was all family. And my two great aunts were, were Italian and they were, and the core of them was just food all day long. All they do is prepare, cook. Um, it was the answer to everything. So I can remember being a kid and, you know, I don't know, grade school ages, I would go over there and like whatever i get some cookies or whatever it would be but you know it would be like a package of cookies you know the whole box of cereal so i think these eating habits of kind of overconsumption started so early and then when i got into high school you know 14 years old i was a standout wrestler and so that's when the restrictions came into play it wasn't just the overeating now it was the restrictions um and then from being a high level wrestler then i kind of went straight into into boxing and then boxing you know i turned pro in 2008 that's when i went to the olympics so you're looking you know 2004 maybe i turned pro until now so that's a long time um going back and forth from restriction binge and restriction purge and what it may be um and so in 2012 when i decided that i I had an issue and I needed help for it. Um, it was actually a Joe Rogan podcast that kind of kicked the whole thing off. I, I can't remember. He was talking to like Rich Roll or someone. And it was all about, you know, if you, I think it was the gist of it, like he wasn't happy. So he made changes, hard changes that a lot of people, you know, may not want to do because they're uncomfortable. Um, and it was at, it was at right at the time where basically um, I was getting ready to fight on Fox Sports 1. And it was a big fight. It was a, uh, a couple of different promotion companies that are high up in the sport of boxing. Um, and I remember getting ready for that fight and I had no control over any of my issues with eating, with my emotions. And it got to a point where 
Um, I was so overwhelmed with the idea of having to weigh in, probably not going to make weight for the fight, being on national TV, um, that I actually quit the sport of boxing. I quit the sport of boxing. I went home, and after listening to that Rogan podcast, I kind of went on this um, this journey to figure out this eating disorder and how I could kind of get my life back. Because at, th- at this point, I was a slave to it. It, it controlled all my moves, basically. And all my moves on a daily basis revolved around food, how I was going to get it, the scale. Um, and I didn't have control over it. And at this point, I was pretty miserable. So, you know, I went on this journey to kind of figure myself out, right? Because I always thought at the beginning, it's, you know, from what I learned early on and eating disorder was just a uh, manifestation of all this other stuff that might be going on in you, whether it's trauma or, you know, emotional or all this stuff within you. So I think I started with a sports psychologist. Um, that was a, that was an easy one for me because I was boxing or I had been boxing after I was out for about a year and I went back to the sport, but I started with a sports psychologist, um, I'm wondering and if you go back for a minute, so so because sure. like, this is like a big buildup. It sounds like right, <laughs> and um, sounds like for you, like as a kid, and you know, I was raised full-blooded Italian too. So like, food is yeah. like a lot of things, right? Uh, it's not just food; everything, it's like yeah. love and love and family and everything, right? And yeah, um, I'm just imagining you as like this teenager as a wrestler, and you know, I had friends who were in wrestling in junior high and high school, and I just saw them doing all sorts of really like looking back dangerous things to make weight um wicked dangerous thought that those things were normal and you know maybe if you could talk to that a little bit because i'm sure there's people listening who maybe even now they're teenagers or wrestling and um don't know that what they're doing is leading them down a very dangerous path to make weight because it seems like it's normalized um yeah you know what i i look back So in my professional boxing career, even when I went to the hospital in 2018, um, it it wasn't my most dangerous point because I had some education. And even though I was pushing the line of unhealthy and potentially deadly, I knew those limits somewhat. I was at my most dangerous, the most risk during wrestling when I was 14, 15, 16 years old because I had no education and I didn't know what I was doing and I had no idea how it was affecting my body, my mental health, anything. So, um, and I can't put that on anyone but me because, you know, I was a state champ sophomore year, division one state champ, and I started wrestling freshman year. I made varsity and I was kind of a standout. Same thing with, with boxing. I made boxing. I made the Olympic team for boxing, maybe, I don't know, three years after I ever picked up a pair of gloves. So the same thing for wrestling. I went right into it and I went to these high limits where competition was, it meant something, right? Cause you're going to national tournaments, you're representing maybe your state or your country, whatever it may be. So they were high stakes wrestling matches. And, um, I had no idea what I was doing when it came to making a weight class. Uh, and that's from being uneducated, from being a kid and not having anyone kind of guide me. And I can't put it on coaches or anybody else because it was me and it was me kind of in secret. It, it wasn't something that I was displaying 
you know, because I had a fear that maybe I wouldn't be able to wrestle that weight class or I wouldn't be able to keep my varsity spot or maybe it was some self-confidence stuff. Maybe I think I, I didn't think I would be as good at a higher weight class. Um, I always had self-confidence issues even even before the eating stuff. So, um, and during re- wrestling, the only reason why I was a state champ sophomore year and a varsity freshman year and then junior year, I kind of quit basically. I basically quit and dropped out of school. Um, wrestling was so miserable. All I did was starve myself. I had no idea what proper nutrition was. Um, I just figured whatever goes in has to come out, right? So, I mean, there was times when I wouldn't eat for days. I would drink very minimal water. I would try to sweat all that water out. I would wear sauna suits. I would use laxatives, um, you know, and then I would try to binge eat some sort of nutrition back into myself to then go compete. And so um, I put my body through a lot and I vowed to myself that I didn't ever want to do anything that had to do with a scale ever again in my life. That's how strict and how much wrestling kind of put me back. I want nothing to do with it. Then I kind of found boxing and I was like, all right, I love this too, but it does have to do to deal with the scale. I'm going to totally try to change my ways and um, be more healthy, right? Because I knew looking back now that some of the stuff I did in high school wrestling um, without censorship was super unhealthy. It put me at risk um, and potentially could have killed me multiple times. Um, And I didn't want that to happen for me in wrestling. Um, And so, you know, I vowed like I'm never going to take laxatives again, which, you know, I didn't stick to really any of these rules. You know what I mean? I tried to be healthier. I tried to um, gain knowledge about proper nutrition. And um, it just, it was a good idea at the time, but it didn't stick out that way because I always had to make weight however I had to make it. Sometimes better than others, other times better than others. But at the end, when the eating disorder, I didn't have any control. That's when I was the most unhealthy because I would, put so much weight on and I had to take it off and I, and sometimes I had to take it off fast. So, um, you know, for anyone that, and now that, that I'm a first responder and a medic and I had to go to school to get my paramedic license, I see all these are- electrolyte imbalances and things that people do to their bodies when they pro- maybe don't have the proper nutrition or overconsumption of water of like all these things that like, when I see, I'm like, Holy shit, man. I'm lucky that I didn't kill myself on uh, multiple occasions. So my advice to anybody, especially kids, um, you don't ever need to worry about a number on a scale to compete in a sport, whether it's boxing, wrestling. I'm just talking about the ones that that I've I've had to deal with, right? You can wrestle. and, and, And I'll give you the perfect example. My son came home and he made the wrestling team and he could have been on varsity. He was so excited. First year, right? He's in sixth grade. Um, and he tells me, yeah, dad, I made the varsity team. It's amazing. And I'm like, all right, how much, you know, what did you make it at? Well, I made it at 90 pounds. Like, all right. So I took him in the bathroom, gets on the scale. He's 96 pounds. And I'm like, it's not happening. I don't, you're not losing one pound to go wrestle a kid. You're going to train harder. You're going to have better nutrition. You're going to wrestle whatever you are. So a scale is not a problem. And then you can be the best that you are. And if you win, you win, you lose, you lose. Um, but I think a lot of the time 
that's that's not the view that I had coming into wrestling. It's not the view that I had going into boxing. When I turned pro in 2000, well, actually, not even when I turned pro. So when I started boxing, um, you know, right out of high school, I started at 140 pounds. And I kept that weight all the way until basically my whole career. Like my last fight that I just fought um, in March was at 147 and I weighed 144 pounds. So I kept that weight my whole career. Um, and the eating disorder in me when it was at a time of being uncontrollable made it um, impossible to, to deal with. So for people who don't know much about you know, the weight and the necessity to, or the pressure, I guess, to make weight, um, you know, because typically I don't talk numbers or put weight out there on the podcast because it can get triggering, but I think it, there's a purpose to it in, you know, you talking about it because there's this pressure to be in a certain, like, you know, category for certain fights right um mm-hmm. what was the pressure you felt to maintain a certain weight like what if you like you were talking about your son being a certain weight saying oh you know no you're going to maintain this weight and not go less was there a pressure for you to weigh less so that you could have a different opponent like what was that like so for people who don't under really really understand what that pressure was like for you um I think the pressure came in the fact that this is the weight class I was. That's probably how much I weighed at the time or close to it. I knew I could already lose weight because of wrestling. So I probably lost a little bit, but then when you start campaigning at that weight class, that's your weight class. You know, I won the national golden gloves twice at that weight class. I was an Olympian alternate at that weight class. Then when I went pro, you know, you're fighting based on that weight class, you're getting ranked at that weight class. Now I'm ranked in all these different, um, organizations that have to do with your world rankings of possibly winning a world championship belt down the road. So like as you campaign and the more and more you invest in the sport, the more you're kind of, um, you know, in the sport of boxing, the more you're kind of invested in that weight. And, um, you know, a lot of the time people do whatever they do at that weight. And then after they've won that whole weight, they might move up or wherever the competition is or the bigger fights, right? Because a lot of boxing is a business as well, not just a sport. So the big fights, um, they might, you know, be one weight, weight class apart. They might meet up. Um, but for me, because I kind of stepped away from the sport multiple times, had so many issues on my own, I was never able to kind of reach the potential in those dreams that I had hoped being a world champion and, um, you know, kind of being that, you know, Everything you sign up for the sport of boxing, right? Be, you want to win a bunch of money, be super famous, fight on, be the face of whatever, and win world championship belts. Well, I could never figure myself out to get in a position to keep the consistency to do that. So I kind of always kept campaigning where I was potentially going to do that in the future if I did it. Um, and I don't know. It could be a self-confidence thing. I think, um, you know, I've always had self-confidence issues and, you know, I think that's just kind of the pressure that was on me that, you know, and, and a lot of that pressure I put on myself. I mean, not anybody, I could have won any weight class I wanted to maybe, you know what I mean? It, it was my decision. I'm the, I'm the boss of myself and the sport of professional boxing. Um, but I think it was just a, a personal thing. So 
you know, you must have had a lot of people around you, trainers and other um, people. Just so did anyone pick up on what was going on with you? So in my earlier years, people definitely picked up. I mean, they, they knew my binge episodes post-fight were not something normal. Um, and they knew the starvation and everything that I did to myself in training camp was not normal, right? I think um, a lot of people do it in the sport. You know what I mean? A lot of people do it. Maybe some of the people that aren't as educated on how to make weight the right way um, and try to do it in unhealthy ways. So I've seen it before and a lot of people did it like I did it, you know. Um, but what was the question again? I forgot, sorry. Well, I just want to... Well, I guess it's a two-part question. One is, did anyone pick up on what you yeah, were saying? Yeah, that's it. Um, right. But also, I mean, just kind of based on what you just said, did you start doing these things because it was kind of what everyone else was doing? I mean, you must have learned it. From yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I think it is. Like a lot of people, you know, I came up and saw other people doing what I was doing. So everybody does it different. That's the thing about making weight in the sport with the scale. Like there's so many different ways to do it. Everyone has their own tricks. And so I saw a bunch of stuff as I went to different camps and started, you know, fighting all over the world as opposed to, you know, I got to see how they did it in Russia when I was part of USA versus Russia. And we got to go there for a couple of weeks and, you know, I got to see how everyone did it. But, um, 2012, when it came out to me, it's when it came out. To other people too so in my earlier years they obviously knew what i was doing wasn't healthy and wasn't normal there was nothing normal about it these crazy nights of consumption of of everything and then the restriction for months and in 2012 i was in more of an elite camp uh 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 his name's ronnie shields and he coached like mike tyson and evander holyfield and like all these known people and so they put you on the scale every day I was on the scale every day in the morning after, you know, after you work out, you, you, they monitor your weight, know where you are whenever you're in training camp getting ready for a fight because they want to make sure that you're not trying to take too much weight off or nothing. And so I couldn't control my eating at home in training camp. I could not control it. Um, and and so it reflected on the scale every day. And, and you know, I finally had to come out to my team at that time and be like, hey, listen, I I got a problem. I don't understand this. You know what I mean? I cannot, you you think of it, right? Like if you don't want to drink, you don't have to buy alcohol, right? So you don't have to have it in your house, but food is different. I couldn't control how much I ate, but I can't, I can't like, you need eat, you need to eat to function. So like, I guess, I guess it would be like quitting drinking, but still having to drink two beers a day while you're quitting. Like, that's what it felt like for me. And I didn't understand it. So like, when I'm talking to other guys and I'm like, hey, it's not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's food. I, I don't know how to control it. I can't control it. I can't stop eating. I was I, I didn't understand it and I felt like no one's gonna understand what I'm talking about. I don't understand it. They're not gonna understand like something as simple as food. But when it's uh when it's embedded in you, when these habits are built of you know, years after years and just reinforced and reinforced and it's so deep down in you that it's it's not in your control anymore and you're just making these moves with without the ability to control it um it was a huge problem and i didn't understand it and i don't i'm not sure if they did um but that's that's kind of when it came out and i still didn't really talk to about it um other than the self journey that i went through 
when I quit the sport of boxing, because I quit twice, once for a year and then once for five years. And each time was kind of, you know, the first, the first time I quit was more like, you know, uh, I got into medication, uh, meditation. I read a book about that. I took a, uh, mindfulness-based reduction, stress reduction. It was like eight weeks at UMass Memorial. That was cool because I was, you know, I was an athlete too, so it helped with my focus. Um, and then I started like therapy with all these self-help modalities, like Kristen Neff and uh, Chris Germer had one. I went to like a seven-day retreat in Sedona, and I tried to figure all this stuff out. Then when I quit uh, for five years, it was at the point where I almost lost my life and now i i seek professional help like a traditional style therapy um you know i went to a intensive outpatient program at an eating disorder facility that was like you know one o'clock in the afternoon till nine o'clock every day um there was like some paint therapy and a whole bunch of different stuff with that um you know i went to like oa and that type of meeting trying to find some connection and um, so that was more that five years that I just did was more like uh, professional help, like actual professional help. So uh, it sounds like you were trying to seek the advice of people around you, but it sounds like yeah. maybe they didn't really know what you were struggling with so much, even though it sounds like in, well, maybe you tell me like in the boxing world, would you say that people do have disordered eating or eating disorders, but nobody's really talking about it with each other. I don't know. I never talked about it with anybody and I never heard anyone talk about it with me. I saw other people being unhealthy just like I was, but it, it, you know, you, you're kind of just doing a job. You're doing what you got to do to make weight and everyone's in a different position of knowledge and access to food and, and whatever it may be. So I honestly never spoke about an eating disorder. Um, or no one else spoke to me about it until I started seeking help for myself. And, and even then when I was doing that, I tried to like, let a couple people know here and there, but, but at the same time, right. That's my, that's my business and my profession. So a lot of the time I spoke about it personally, but I didn't want to speak about it professionally because I didn't want it to affect my career. I didn't want people to think that like I couldn't make weight or I wasn't going to show up for fights. Right. Cause it's a business just as much as a sport. So like, if you're not accountable, right, if you're always never making weight or doing whatever, then you're not going to be, it's going to be hard for someone to invest in you, right? Because, you know, look what happened in 2018 when I ended up in the hospital. That whole show was canceled and um, a lot of people missed out and this and that. So I didn't want it to affect my career negatively. So I talked about it way more personally, like, um, you know, therapist people, people that had to do with eating disorders and my wife originally for that first time when I tried to do all that work on myself um I realized that I had to go to the actual experts in the eating disorder field and figure out more about this and myself and what I had to do to get my normal life back so um I'm wondering you before you were on the podcast you had sent me a picture that was you know pretty scary yeah. looking of you in the hospital was that um, the time in 2018 yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, so I was slated to fight for the WBC World Championship belt, which is, you know, everything I signed up from the first day I put on a pair of gloves. Like, that's like the World Series of 
baseball for boxing. And I finally got that opportunity. And it was like kind of right on the cusp of where I just, in my early days, I could, I could change it real fast. Like I would binge for so long, but then I would knew I, I would have to go into training camp and I would restrict for so long. And I had no problem changing that right away. Right. Binge, 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 stop, restrict all the way through camp. As my eating disorder and these habits got more reinforced and more reinforced over years and years and years, the time where I could do that stopped. Like, you know, I would try to stop binge eating so I could restrict to make weight, but I couldn't stop eating. So like there would be no more windows of one or the other. They they meshed together too much. And I had no control over my eating. So um it was easier for me to go completely abstinent and naughty than try to eat portions or um, have balance in it. Right. So, and, um, but at the same time, I've been waiting for this shot at a world championship belt my whole life. And so I wanted to, I wanted to do it. I wanted to fight. I wanted to compete. So I tried to make way for it. And ultimately I couldn't stop eating during camp. I had a camp where the people around me weren't at the elite level. So no one had to ask me anything. I just tried to train and I couldn't stop eating. And then when I went down to California for the fight, I completely stopped eating. So I had multiple days without any food. I had multiple days without any water. Um, you know, I was multiple pounds overweight the day of the weigh-in. I sat in the sauna for hours. I wore the suit. I took, you know, upwards of 10 pounds off in that morning and um ultimately i got sent to the hospital the paramedics picked me up in my hospital um in the hotel room because i collapsed um and so the hospital was worried about um you know major like organ organ failure i was so dehydrated um and so they kept me in the hospital for a little bit but i remember you know sitting in my hospital bed and reading the the espn espn the news and like was a whole story how I didn't make weight for the fight. And um, I just felt, you know, first of all, I felt very bad. I like, you know, I worked my whole life for that moment and I didn't even get the chance to compete. You know what I mean? I didn't even get to fight, win or lose. I don't know. I didn't make it to the scale. Um, and at the same time, I'm lucky to be alive. Like I, like I passed out in my hotel. Um, you know, it was potentially deadly. The paramedics had to you know, right away they put the, so I'm a, I'm a medic and, you know, they put a 12 lead on. So as soon as they start putting the stickers on you, you know, that they're worried about your heart or whatever, right. Cause they're taking a picture of your heart. So, um, you know, it, it really, really made me open my eyes to be like, I have, you know, I have four kids now, you know, it was two at that time, a beautiful wife. And, um, I don't want to lose my life to a sport. Right. And I don't want to lose my life to an eating disorder. Um, and so when that happened, and that was what that picture was from. That was in my hospital room when they were giving me all the IVs and trying to rehydrate me and, you know, checking my liver and all these different things to make sure that I didn't do irreversible damage. Um, that's when my eyes opened of like, all right, you know, this is, this is, this is so serious. Like I already knew it was serious, but this is now so serious that I need professional help. And that's, that's when I took five years off when I came home, when I got, you know, multiple different avenues of professional help and um, got to a point where, you know, I'm not bulimic anymore. I don't, I don't binge eat and I don't purge. Um, I exercise normally. 
and I don't restrict and I don't restrict anything. So, um, but I didn't know, I didn't think I was ever going to get to that point because a lot of the time you hear through traditional therapy, like, you know, maybe something lingers or this might be the new way of life forever. And, um, so, so many times it's, I beat my head against the wall trying to, uh, figure this thing out and, and get to a point. And, and a lot of the, there was a couple of times when I was like, I don't know if this is ever going to change. I don't know if I can, this might just be the, the new way of life. Um, and, but, continued work on myself, continued learning, continued knowledge allowed me to keep, you know, being self-aware and keep figuring stuff out until I got to a point where I got my life back. And that's where I'm at right now. And I'm still trying to figure my story out. This really is the, this really is the first time I've ever told my story, I guess. So I'm still like figuring it all out and kind of putting it together as I go. It's been a long journey and a long road. There's a, a lot, a lot of depth within me. You know what I mean? Well, eating disorders are complex. And I know I appreciate you sharing it, you know, with me in the audience. And I know it's not easy to share. Um, you know, I grappled with it myself if I wanted to start the podcast and, you know, share my own story. So I, I understand completely. It's, it's, it's very complicated. Um, people think it's about food and weight and it's so much more. Um, and I do appreciate what you said that, you know, the message out there is, oh, you're always going to kind of have it a little bit. Um, and one of the big things I always say on the podcast is please don't buy into that. Please don't believe in that because if you believe in that, it has a lot of power. And so to hear you say, you know, you're in a place now where you're fully recovered and you're beyond that and you're not struggling with some lingering parts of it is really powerful for people to hear and, and to really, you know, know somebody like yourself who's gone through all the work and to get to the place in your life where you're at is, is so inspirational and gives people hope. So I really oh. appreciate that you're sharing that. Well, thank you. But I don't, I don't want to get too, I don't want to give, get too much credit because there, there still is a couple um, I think emotional things I deal with. There's still some serious body image um, dysmorphia stuff, and and this is kind of like the mental aspect of the of the eating disorder for me. I mean, there was a time there was a time when I was in Texas um, and I was in a training camp, so I was by myself and my wife and child were home in in um, in Massachusetts. I wouldn't turn the bathroom lights on for almost a year and a half. I had to shower in the dark. I had to do everything in the dark unless it was shaved. And and if it was shaved, I had to wear full clothing. So I still have all these issues related to how I view myself. Mm. And, and so these are things now that, that I'm, that I'm working through, like, um, you know, what it is to be healthy, to look healthy, to feel healthy mm. and, and trying to sift through these, um, these, these false images that I have, that can feel very real sometimes. And when they feel very real, um, they, they can be known to get caught up in, in, in your emotions to make you feel bad. And I, and I don't like that. I don't like the, the way that those images make me feel. Um, and for too long, they kind of dictated my moves, which I didn't like even more. So those, those are the things, you know, I'm not binge eating, I'm not restricting and, and I'm not purging. And that, and that to me is a win because, um, for so long, I was a slave to it. it. It was my all day, every day. And and I didn't know at one time if it was ever going to change. I thought my life was going to be lost. So for me to be in a normal place now and live a normal life is amazing. And so all this emotional stuff, 
that's stuff that, that I can deal with. And I actually like dealing with that. I like, I think, you know, a part of me goes on this, you know, decade long self-discovery, turning every rock I can up to find out what I can find to be better and to improve. Um, and so there has to be a part of me that actually that likes that improvement, even though it was uncomfortable. And a lot of the time I didn't like it. Um, I suffer from anxiety where I have dealt with a lot of anxiety throughout my whole life. And it has been um, manifested into these pretty massive panic attacks where I feel like I'm dying and pass out sometimes. So um, being able to work through all of these different things, even if they weren't um, eating disorder related, it's all related. So um, it, it's, I'm blessed that, I, that I've been able to kind of just get to where I am from where I was and now be in a position where, I don't know, maybe I can give someone else a, a, a little connection who needs it because I think that's the thing in early on, in the early on years that it was hard for me. I couldn't find a ton of connection, right? Like, like when I went to that outpatient program for the eating disorder facility, I was the only male. A lot of the time I was the only male. Um, and so like, it was hard for me to seek out that connection. Like, um, it, it was hard for me to to do that. So I thought that if, if, if I could be that person, maybe other people that are struggling would be able to hear my words and, and find that connection that I kind of lack getting a little bit. No, and that's really, like I said, why I appreciate you being on here. I think um, if more people are vocal and more people are willing to share what they go through, just like I know a lot of people do struggle also with anxiety as well as eating disorder. And, you know, people don't really share these things. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of secrecy. There's a lot of worry about, gosh, if I open up about this, am I going to be judged or what are people going to think? And so when someone like comes on here, like yourself and shares these things, and then someone might be at home listening going, oh, okay, there's some relief there. I think of, okay, maybe I can open up. Maybe I can seek help. Um, I think that's very powerful and um maybe if you had had somebody along the way who you know had spoken up and said what they were doing or you could have shared what you were doing and they had said oh yeah me too this is what i need this is what i did to get past this i don't know if that would have helped you or been powerful for you but um i think it, i think it definitely would have helped i mean i think i think connection is is super important um you know if if you see someone else struggling like you are with the same issues and you see what they did, you, you don't feel so alone. Okay. Someone else, someone else knows what it is to feel like this. You know what I mean? So um, I think if, if, if I, if I had that, it, it would have just been nice. It wouldn't have been so lonely some days. I don't know that it would, it would have just been nice. You know what I mean? Because I felt very alone in, in my walkthrough. I felt alone and I felt uh, very less than at, at times. It's weird. Like, you know, everybody knows how, you know, alcohol is bad, bad, drugs are bad. All these things are really bad. People that get hooked on them, they go to, you know, treatment, they get programs and then having no education about food, right? I'm thinking like, oh, it's just food, but something that controls your every move um, and, and to that it's such a social, emotional problem to where you're at the point of, you know, either losing your life from your habits or taking your own life because of the misery um, it doesn't matter what it is. If, if something is that bad, it's a, it's a huge, huge problem. And so, um, 
I just had no idea. I had no idea until it, until these habits were so reinforced, reinforced in me. Um, I just had no idea that eating disorders are crazy. They're crazy. You know, for you, it sounds like it was even more complicated because, you know, you were in the profession and making weight was, you know, something you had, you felt the pressure you had to do. And so food was very much tied to, you know, what you were doing for a living. And, you know, that sounded like it was even more difficult for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been married to the scale since I've been 12 years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, my life has revolved around my weight. Um, what number is on the scale? What number it has to be? What number it is now? What goes in my mouth? What comes out? So, you know, my my life has been revolved around that and so um it's and that's because it's a sport like it gives me so much more compassion for a a female because you kind of like i don't know you have like a society maybe like a cultural like view of like you know a skinny woman or something and women have to match up against that every single day it's not like just a sport like if i had quit the sport i would have never been against the scale again i probably would have never thought about it again but women have to deal with this stuff for the rest of their life and um to be up against something like that it's just there's not one time even now even now i can't not put something in my mouth without thinking how it affects my weight or my body or or my mental state Right. Those are the three things that I, that I worry about. And so those are still things that I'm working towards. Like hopefully one day I can just eat freely. Um, and, and so I'm not there yet. However, um, it's just it feels really good to talk about my situation and hopefully more people will hear. It. I don't know. Well, like I said, I really appreciate you being on here. You know, it's it's amazing to have you, you know come on here and share these things. And I'm just wondering if there's any um, final last words that you think anyone needs to know. I know you shared a lot already, but I don't know if you have any uh, final words. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I'm still like new to this. I don't, I don't have like a, a closing line, but I would just say for anybody that's struggling, find out, you know what I mean? It's not going to be easy. It's, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy. Um, it's going to be scary. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but, but the first step is just kind of asking for help. You know what I mean? And, and, um, just have, having faith that you can get through it and, and get better if you want to. Um, and so that's really, that's really all. I just, I have a special, um, limit for compassion because i know how bad the suffering is i was in it i'm sure you were and a lot of other people out there now it's miserable and it's lonely and i just hope that people can find connection get out get some help um and make some changes if they're not living the life that they want to and um are you on social media is there do you want people yeah are they following you yeah i mean so i want i want to write a book and I'm dealing with an agent right now, and I have a, a co-author who um, is from New York who has wrote a, a couple of books. And so really, 
in 2012 when I was in Texas and in the training camp, it was probably one of the darkest of my times. And I remember reading a book and it wasn't about eating disorders, it was about Josh Hamilton. He was a baseball player and um, he got hooked on drugs and he left the sport and he came back. And um, I remember reading that book and that book, that book kept me going. And that's how I think, that's how I think my journey went. Like I wasn't always like gung ho to like grow and go through the uncomfort to be the best I could be. A lot of the time it was just a little foothold that I got in and, and I got that in different ways. Maybe the sports psychologist told me something or I had done something in mindful meditation that I liked. And during that time in Texas, it was Josh Hamilton's book. It was just a little foothold that gave me a little hope and to, and to, and to keep going. And I think that's the number one theme through my whole story is like, I never, ever lost hope ever, ever. Like I always had a part of me being like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get over this no matter how much time it takes, no matter how much work it takes, no matter where I got to go, I'm going to get over this and get my life back so I can be the best me. And so even on the darkest times, I still had like a little, a little glimmer of hope that they kept me going to the next day to, to keep putting one foot in front of the next. And, um, for people at home, I mean, that's, it's hard because some of those days are really dark. However, you just need that one little sliver of hope because you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So true. So people do want to find you on social media. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm so bad. I'm so bad at social media. It's the real, the real Danny O'Connor. Um, and I only have Instagram right now. Um, I'm not wicked good at it. I don't really know what I'm doing. I make my wife do posts most of the time, but hopefully I'll gain a little bit of a following and, I'll uh, start to learn so that I can find a, I'm just trying to find the most uh, outlets that I can to speak my story so that hopefully I can get it to the farthest reach of people, I guess. No, that's great. And, you know, continuing to speak up and uh, share your story will definitely hopefully help people. people. So thank you so, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.